The year today's album was released, LeBron James devastated his fan base by announcing his free agency, echoing a decision that my first girlfriend made a year prior. And in case you are wondering, yes, I burned her jersey. The artist who recorded today's album also wonders if we are humans or dancers. And if the artist were a scientist, he would have named this album Phonocopterus Ruber. Have you guessed it yet? The year was 2010. The artist was Brandon Flowers. And today's album is his solo debut, Flamingo. Today on Two Dudes and Tunes. Welcome to Two Dudes and Tunes, the podcast where two dudes break down our very favorite album. I'm one of the dudes. My name is Chris. My counterpart dude here is Wood. Wood, how are things in your neck of the woods? Oh, they're doing pretty good, man. How are you today? Man, I'm doing pretty good. So I uh, I got a phone call maybe like 45 minutes before this podcast, and it was my tattoo artist because I... I'm getting a tattoo tomorrow at 6 p.m. I'm going to get off work at 5, pick up Megan, get changed, and go to a Black Door Tattoo Parlor here in Lubbock and get the tattoo. I'm pretty excited about it. That is awesome. What are you getting? And is it your first tattoo? This is tattoo number one. So what I'm getting is a, uh, it's like a, uh, a old-timey sailing vessel, mm-hmm. and it's on one half of the the sky it's kind of dark and stormy there's clouds and lightning and then on the other half is going to be you know like clear skies and stuff and there's going to be a banner over it that has lyrics from one of my like well maybe my all-time favorite hymn it is well with my soul that Um, is awesome sounding man yeah i'm i'm real excited it took so it took kind of an annoying amount of, I don't know, like I had to sit down and word like how I was going to tell my parents about it because, well, like my dad is pretty, pretty go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew my mom kind of wouldn't like it very much. And so I had to like sit down and think like, okay, how am I going to word this? And I was going to tell it, I was going to tell them about it. Um, on Sunday, because we always do like a Sunday lunch, but we, we had a bunch of snow and ice, and so I had to settle for email, which is I I kind of felt bad about that. But I that's the, I've been excited about it all week, and I realized thinking about it, I had not told you in any of our discussions on pod or off that I was doing that, and so I thought I'd save it for like a, a wood reacts video down the line. Well, I think it's awesome. I don't have any yet, but I have a, a whole slew of them planned out. Maybe one of these days I'll get over my fear of needles and we'll, uh, we'll give it a go. I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't have a fear of needles. Like I've had blood drawn for like medical procedures or whatever. And I'll just watch not out of like a, Oh, look how tough I am. But it's interesting enough for me to be like a little detached from it. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I don't really know what my pain tolerance is for something like this. So 
Hopefully I don't I, I don't take a picture of like a half finished tattoo and send it to you on Friday like, well, so far I got. Well, uh, if that happens, we'll definitely put it in the show notes and we'll laugh at you mercilessly. Yeah, we'll need to create an Instagram page so we can we can let the internet laugh <laughs> at my misfortune. Nice. Hey, uh so I- well, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, how are you? Because I, I was listening back to the uh, podcast last week after you had kind of sent me an edit and realized, like, I didn't ask you how you were doing. And I felt really rude and bad about that. So this is me asking you, how are you doing? Oh, man, we're doing pretty good. We've uh, just been working a lot this week and trying to stay in front of all the stuff that's changing at work and just keeps me busy. Uh, my... Uh, my 13-week-old son has started uh, almost posing for pictures. Like, he smiles kind of when you tell him, and that's kind of awesome. And, that is uh, fantastic. So he brings a lot of light into life. Uh, one thing that uh, was kind of interesting that happened uh, over the week uh, is I discovered two new artists that I really am digging on their music. And uh, that was partially because during our The Wall episode you made a joke about how my music was all very old and antiquated. And I was like, well, it's not. I, I, I listen to new people. And so, uh, I'm hip. I'm yeah, cool. I'm not old. How do you do fellow kids? And so, uh, so seriously though, uh, I use Spotify and one of the playlists that I like listening to, uh, when I'm driving is, uh, the swagger playlist. So it's lots mm. of like grungy alt country rock music. Oh, fun. And uh, the two artists that I found on that playlist and ended up listening to their entire catalogs were Bishop Briggs, and in particular her album uh, The Church of Scars from t- 2018. Just a really fun album. And then the other one was uh, Barnes Courtney uh, and The Attractions of Youth, which was uh, 2017. And they are, like, that album, The Attractions of Youth, there is not one bad song on the entire album. And uh, it was just awesome. So I have some new music in my repertoire. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, so run those by me one more time, the artists and the album, because I'm going to write them down and listen to you, uh, listen to them, and then maybe I can, like, the next week on the episode, I can hit you back with, like, oh, yeah, that was great, or, oh, I didn't like it. You're going to love it. It's uh, Bishop Briggs, Church of Scars. That is a great album title. Oh, yeah. Church no. of Scars. And then uh, Barnes, Courtney, uh-huh. The Attractions of Youth. The Attractions of Youth. Awesome. And I'm looking both forward of those to checking albums, those out. Both of those albums deserve to be played with the volume all the way up. So just be ready for it. Yeah, I'll try and listen to it because it's so unfortunate. Most of my music consumption is just the right channel because I I think I said before on one of our either our launch episode or whatever. But, you know, I I can't have both headphones in at work because I don't want to miss somebody telling me to stop and then, you know, drive the forklift into a customer's truck or a customer you know so i'll try and give those like a good like a real listen with these headphones i've got on right now uh, it's definitely worth it um 
And then the other thing that kind of happened this week that was interesting, and you tipped me off to it, uh, the Foo Fighters dropped three tracks of their new album. Yeah. So what did you what do you think of those? I want to hear your opinion first because I know you're a real Foo head. Okay, so I like them. Mm-hmm. I basically like them. Um, shame, shame is a little repetitive to me. I don't think it has much of a bridge. Like they don't change up the groove of the song, but at least the groove is really good. Um, I think of the three have that have been released, my favorite is Waiting on a War. Um, because I think the lyrics are real earnest and simple. And it's, you know, like at this point, the Foo Fighters aren't doing anything super exciting. They're not groundbreaking anymore. They've really hit their stride. And I think Dave Grohl just knows how to make really good songs. But, he, you know, he didn't push the envelope or anything. Um, so Waiting on a War is kind of more of the same from him, but it's really good. And no son of mine kind of cracked me up a little bit just because of how, like, rock and roll, like, devil horns <laughs> it kind of is. But I, I will say this. Whenever his lyrics are kind of like, yeah, like, that's fine, um, his part writing is really interesting because mm-hmm. the guitar lick for no son of mine starts in such a way that it kind of throws you off kilter. It starts in the middle of the measure, which I, I don't want to like bore our like non music theory educated listeners, which is probably most of them, but it, it starts in one place and then you find out that, Oh, this riff actually starts on a different part of the beat. And so it sounds a little off at the very beginning and it's kind of a fun little, trick that I like when musicians do. So that was kind of my, those are my thoughts on Mm -hmm. those three tracks. I think they're good, not great, but they have some fun stuff that makes them endearing to me and makes me ultimately kind of excited for the album because it's new Foo Fighters. I'm just going to, I'm going to be excited even if it winds up being like not super great. So I'm in the same boat really. Um, I was kind of late to the Foo Fighters game and kind of fell in love with their music after they'd been around for a while and established for a while. But uh, listening to these three tracks, my my notes here are that it sounds just like the Foo Fighters and that it's going to be great. Just like you, though, my favorite track is definitely Waiting on a War, and then it's Mm -hmm. No Son of Mine, and really, I could take or leave Shame Shame. Um, But on any album I listen to, there's probably two tracks that I'm like, eh, whatever, I don't really care about these. So... I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I you know, I feel the same way. It's rare it's rare for me to feel super strongly about all 10 tracks on an album. Mm-hmm. Um and that's definitely the case with this week's album with Flamingo. Um but before we go into like our personal thoughts about the album, I figured we could talk about how the album kind of got going. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. So this album kind of came at an interesting time for Brandon Flowers' 
our listeners may or may not know, Brandon Flowers was the lead singer or is the lead singer of The Killers. And um, they had released Day and Age, which is their third full-length original album. They had The band had been really ready for a break because they kind of started with a bang. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you're kind of familiar with their stuff, but mm-hmm. they started with Hot Fuss, which was their huge, you know, just a huge album. All the all the hits are like right in a row on the first three or four tracks of that album. They followed that up with Samstown, which I gave a listen to, and it, it was really popular. Um, it had so like that line, um, "I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier." You remember that song yeah, that played definitely. ad nauseum on the radio. Um, but so then their third album came out, Day and Age, and that was really well received in England. Like I think the Killers are kind of like where Hendrix was when he first broke out, where he was just super popular in England, but people in the U.S. didn't really get it. And so um, it had kind of a lackluster reception. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I think the band kind of seized an opportunity to take a break. And so they said, hey, look, we're serious about this. We're going to take a break. I'm super serial. And so I don't think he was ready for a break. I think he wanted to keep going. And um, so he kind of sees the opportunity to write a new album. And that's what Flamingo wound up being. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, who produced it? Yeah, the producers on this, it's really kind of interesting. There, It seems like Flowers went on a little bit of a journey with producing. So he kind of started with... Stuart Price, who has produced like Madonna and Seal and some people kind of like that. Um, A lot of really poppy stuff, a lot of synthesized drums, synthesizers, that kind of thing. And I don't think that Stuart Price was able to handle some of, of the depth of Brandon's songwriting forget it donnie you're out of your element brandon like i know him (laughs) brandon flowers mr flowers daniel lenoir is the the guy that kind of got brought on to help flowers develop the songs that he was working on uh and daniel lenoir has some really cool production credits so you've got the show doc in front of you so you can read them but um he produced three u2 albums um, some stuff by Peter Gabriel, a couple of Peter Gabriel albums, which you would probably recognize um, some of his songs if you heard them. They're songs that play on like uh, play on the radio a lot. Um, but he also has worked with Neil Young, uh, Scott Weiland, who is uh, the singer of Stone Temple Pilots, um, and he also even wrote one of my favorite songs, weirdly enough. Like I, I don't listen to Daniel Lenoir's music that he makes himself. Um, but Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds did a cover of his song, the maker that is one of just my absolute favorite songs. But that song has a lot of spiritual overtones. It's kind of about wrestling with sin and 
you know, feeling unworthy of, you know, attention from God or what have you. And so I think that's why they, I think that's why Brandon Flowers brought him on or, you know, maybe the, the album, you know, like the label brought him on or whatever, because a lot of these songs have like a real spiritual bent to it. And to hear Brandon Flowers talk about it. And I actually listened to an interview with Daniel Lenoir as well, where he kind of talked about their process. And it was a lot more of him guiding the songwriting and trying to help him break out of some of his creative ruts and also just explore like his origins, his family, you know, uh, his mom passed away. Um, I think before they started recording this album and his mom, I think was a big influence in his life, uh, taught him to play piano, that kind of thing. And so, um, there was a lot of personal, you know, personal turmoil that he was working through. Um, and just the whole songwriting process with Daniel Lenoir brought out a lot of the themes in this album that I think are the most interesting. Um, and just as another note, the other producer, I couldn't really discern what his role was because he kind of seems like a jack of all trades. The uh, third producer on the album, Brendan O'Brien, has been on everything. And if you look at the like the credits, the liner notes of the album or what have you, mm-hmm. he plays a lot of instruments, too. Hmm. Um, he's worked with some of my favorite bands, the Black Crows, Pearl Jam, Temple of the Dog, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine, and Soundgarden. So, like, these really legendary bands. It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Dairy. And, and what's interesting about him, too, is I think he was probably kind of a jack of all trades from a studio perspective, too, because on a lot of those uh, artists that I mentioned, uh, he functioned as an engineer as well as a producer. So he's done mixing. He's, you know, an engineer. He's a producer. He does a lot of those things. So there were kind of four creative voices all blending together Mm -hmm. to make this album. I think that's what makes it super interesting. Well, and I, it's not even arguable. The predominant voice there is still, Brandon Flowers voice when you compare it to what's going on with the killers and with his other albums, like he is right there at the forefront and it's really telling the story that I think he intended to tell uh, more so than others. But uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about why this album made your list. Uh, As everybody knows by now, we select our albums from a list that we created before we started recording these shows And uh, this was the one that uh, was pretty early on your list, and it was one of the albums that I had never actually listened to. So I'm interested to hear what your story with this album is and why it means enough to make your list. Yeah, it's kind of... uh, uh, It's kind of got a strange history in my life. My very first relationship, um, like a lot of first relationships, I was like super invested in it and we dated for maybe the first couple years 
after I graduated high school. And she was going to school in Austin. She was at UT. I was in San Antonio, and I didn't really have a direction. I knew that I loved music, but I didn't really know what to do with myself and kind of felt like a lot of people do, like, oh, well, I better go to college. And so I bummed around from, like, community college to community college and finally got to the point where I was tired of the long-distance relationship thing and kind of convinced myself, oh, I'll just move to Austin. I'll go to school at Texas State, and we can be together. Well, this was a big, big mistake. Ha ha, you fool! You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. <laughs> I moved I moved in... Uh, I moved there in time... I moved to Austin in time to start the fall semester of 2009. And I think I moved in in, like, July. So I was there for July. I was there for August. And, uh, you know, this this girlfriend, I'll just call her Nancy to avoid using a real name because Nancy is funny. We, we probably <laughs> got a laugh out of Nancy. Uh, Nance for short, which is really funny because it rhymes with pants. But anyway, um, <laughs> Nancy was super busy with school because she was a lot more like driven and focused. She knew what she wanted to do. And so I moved there. And I was there for maybe three months. And she called me and was like, hey, you want to come over? And I, of course, was excited. Yes, of course, I would love to come over to your place and hang out and canoodle and do whatever couples do. Um, and that was when I got the, uh, the it's not you, it's me speech. And I was in this... 12-month lease in this apartment in this strange city that I knew no one in. And so I kind of moped around. I dropped out of school, started looking for jobs in San Antonio, but Nancy still wanted to be friends. And at some point that I cannot to this day remember, she gave me this CD. And the thing that's funny about this CD was I couldn't even play it in the CD player in my car because it was a data CD. It was like <laughs> the files, mm -hmm. which is so emblematic of the relationship. Like it was the content, but I couldn't get to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no access. And, and so I had this dumb data CD in my booklet of CDs. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but I used to have a giant, excuse me, a giant book like a CD jewel case, or not jewel case, but like a booklet with every CD I'd ever owned, ever. Um, and so it just sat at the back, this weird little burnt CD with Sharpie on it. And cut to a few years later, I had kind of reached a point in my life where I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to study music, and so I moved from San Antonio, Texas, to McPherson, Kansas, to go to a little uh, private Christian college up there because they had a good music scene. Uh, like a really good music program, really small classes, but they had invested a lot in it. It had like a studio. It was fantastic. I go up there, and I think at that point I had gotten the CD 
onto my laptop and burned myself a copy of the CD Flamingo by Brandon Flowers and started listening to it. And lo and behold, like, man, I kind of like this. And um, I think I gave it, I know I gave it to our mutual friend, Paul Wells. I gave it to him and him and his wife really liked it. And uh, I met Megan, who I eventually married. And I introduced this music to her, and she really liked it. So I kind of had the benefit of none of the real baggage of loving these songs that my ex-girlfriend had introduced me to. And by the time I got into the album, I was able to introduce it to, uh, to people who weren't going to break up with me a few <laughs> months after I moved to their town. I'll say that. Your credit no. rating thanks them, I'm sure. <laughs> well, my my credit rating is pretty decent because uh, Megan takes care of the bills and I don't. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's kind of the, the weird rambling journey that this album took in my life. What it, how, so what are your feelings on it? Because you kind of hinted at it a little bit over this week, but I, I, I want to hear your feelings proper about like how it hit you. So my first experience with this album was after we rolled the die and found out that I was going to be listening to it a bunch. And uh, I seriously did not know who Brandon Flowers was. I was very familiar with the killers, uh, contrary to my joke uh, at the end of the last episode. But uh, everybody's heard the killers. Well, and when I heard his voice, I was like, oh, that guy. Um, And I got to be honest, you know, my... My mom's side of the family is from Reno and my mom and dad met in Reno and there's a lot of similarity between Vegas and Reno. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when my dad moved out of his parents' house in Germany at the time, he moved to Vegas and he worked for Caesars as a bus boy and, uh, did all sorts of cool stuff in Vegas. So Hearing Killer's music, especially like Sam's Town, which when I was a little kid, uh, my favorite hotel to visit was Sam's Town. I didn't know that was a reference to another casino. It's a reference to an older casino in Vegas. It's actually off the strip, uh, and it's not even on Fremont Street. Like, it's kind of out by itself, but it's got a huge, it's a huge square hotel And in the very center of it, it's got this giant park in the center that's like supposed to be like Yellowstone. And there's gold mining going on around it. And there's animatronic animals all over the place. And there's a laser show at nights. Like it's crazy. And it's like an adult Chuck E. Cheese. It's fantastic. Well, that's what all casinos (laughs) are. But ah, I see. See, I've uh, never been to Vegas. But for the kids, like, you know, I was five, six years old, the first time I remember going there and that park thing was just amazing. Yeah, that Um, sounds fun. But anyhow, so hearing that was kind of cool, you know, from the killers. And then when you start diving into this album and they have so many references to just Vegas in general and, you know, Brandon Flowers being from uh, Henderson, Nevada, which is an old ex-military base turned town uh, that... Uh, after World War II was almost totally demolished and then was bought by a bunch of investors and turned into cheap housing, basically. Uh, huh. to, hear, 
to hear somebody who came kind of out of that environment. And it was really cool. Um, overall, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but I think, I think this is a phenomenal album. And to the point, uh, you know, I liked it enough that uh, after listening to it like 12 times on repeat, I went out and bought the vinyl. So, uh, yes. So that's Dude, now that- in my collection. It is a fantastic record. I think this is actually one of the first records that Megan and I bought as a couple um, once we got married because it is fantastic, and it only sounds better. I mean, most people think vinyl sounds better, and I, I tend to agree, but, boy, if you're looking for a song or an album to listen to on vinyl, this is definitely it. Well, and... You know, one of the things that you and I talked about earlier in the week was, you know, the only version of this album that's really available on any of the digital services that I could find is the deluxe album, mm-hmm. which has four mm-hmm. bonus tracks that are not on the vinyl pressing. And uh, I got to be honest, the, the 10 tracks that are on just the plain album are great. Don't get me wrong. There are two that I could lose, and we'll talk about them here in a minute. And there are two of those bonus tracks that should have been on the main album. They should not have been bonus tracks. Yeah, the the process by which one decides what goes on the album and what gets cut it is a mystery to me. Because for this album specifically, like you said, man, there are two tracks that are on the album that don't they just don't Feel belong. Like they belong. Yeah. yeah, they really don't. So let, let's get into it, though. Let's 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 start here at the beginning. We don't necessarily have to go track by track. Oh no, I'm ready to go track by track. Um, I have okay, notes. if you're if you're ready to do that, <laughs> let's do it then, because that sounds great. Um, this has to be so. The album opens with "Welcome to Las Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas," which is the sign, right? Mm-hmm. That's how the famous sign, the neon sign that uh, mm-hmm. leads people in. This has to be one of my favorite openers, bar it is, none. It, it is, is also, such an epic tune. It is also the worst music video ever made. If you've ever seen the official music video for it, oh no, I haven't. I haven't watched it. No, it's, I watched that one music video that you texted me about and enjoyed we'll it, despite about, how we'll weird talk about it was. that in a minute. Yeah, but. <laughs> But the no, music, I have not watched the music video for uh, the first track. The music video for this track is literally uh, like 1990s to early 2000s uh, Las Vegas B-roll that came from like Reuters. So it's really poorly <laughs> filmed and it's all just rapid cuts oh, no. of that. And that's it. And every now and then oh, that's terrible. It cuts to just uh, Brandon Flowers b-roll from another music video on this album just standing there in a tuxedo How weird like he doesn't sing in in any way it is so weird and it's literally like the footage you would see on a come visit vegas for your vacation commercial Uh, oh for the whole time it sounds to me like the music video is as bad as the track is good because it is it's like it it's cinematic Oh, yeah, and it, and it sets the tone for the rest of the album perfectly. Oh, it's so good, so good. I love, love the the blend of synth 
like synth pads and these big, really atmospheric sounds, but also like some real down home slide guitar mm-hmm. stuff. The, the song actually kind of starts in a similar way to Comfortably Numb. It's just the like, the like happy go lucky version of that where uh, I think Daniel Lenoir is the one playing the slide where he slides all the way up into that big opening chord mm-hmm. and Brandon starts seeing, man, it is so, so great. And the, the like point of view of the lyrics is really interesting too. Did you notice that it's like second person? So it's second person. And the thing that I thought was interesting about it was it's parallels to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Emma Lazarus's new Colossus poem, but it's, it's the poem that's inscribed on the base of the Statue of Liberty. And so it's the one that has the line towards the end that says, you know, give me your weak and weary, your tired and poor, you know, that, really? that line. And when you listen to the lyrics of this song, you know, he's, you know, he, welcome to Las Vegas. You know, I'm, I'm going to butcher the lyrics because I don't have them in front of me, but welcome to Las Vegas, home to the poor, the center, the, um, you got it right there, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do, actually. Here, let me... Uh, Las Vegas, give us your dream... It, blah, blah, blah. Give us your dreamers, your harlots, and your sin. Las Vegas, didn't nobody tell you the house will always win. And it just parallels that, you know, so here we are, you know, 200 years later, you know, the statue's out there, and, you know, it was for your weak and weary, and now here's... Here's Vegas, uh, a bastion for bastard whores and swindlers. Yeah, it's so great that his hey, his hey, lyric writing the, the really shines. Our choice. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Man, I mean, the the second verse I have there in the show notes. The second verse really is just so excellent to me. Uh, it's 107, and you're looking for shade that no palm tree can provide um man it's just his he's got a lot of turns of phrase in this whole album that really uh grabbed me in the first verse you stumble down the boulevard of neon encrusted temples you're looking for the grace of god in the arms of a fellow stranger disciples hand you catalogs of concubines as you stumble down the boulevard crying hosanna though i mean if I don't if I don't exercise some self control right now, I'm just gonna read the whole thing and that's gonna bore the pants off of everybody. But, but I think man, like here's the such deal, a though. great opener. And you and I have had this conversation in the past, but to me, the the basis of a good song is in, for me at least, the lyrical story. So if you mm-hmm. can sit there and you can read the lyrics to that song independently of the music and it's still good, I'm probably going to love that song. And yeah, every song absolutely. on this album is that way. Yeah, they, he he is really... And I think that's how this song works its way into your brain because the production is really good, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a really uh, a well-produced album, but at times it's a little produced. And I think sometimes um, Brandon Flower synth work is not for everyone. And at least for me, that was a little bit of a barrier because I kind of was getting into this album before my sort of hoity-toity barriers 
were broken down by, you know, a, getting an education in music and being exposed to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the songwriting is really, really the like thing number one that makes this album just so good. And I, I, I noticed when I was typing up show notes, like on almost every song, I've got a little bit of his lyrics for each one, because there's always a line that makes me think, or even is just compelling or emotionally resonant, you know, all, all of the songwriting on this album is really fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to the next song. Only the young, uh, what were your thoughts about yeah. it? Yeah. So, man, it it is it is a hard trick to take such a like a hard left into a different emotional feel and like a different style, and that's exactly what he does with only the young because it's it's like super bouncy and it starts with like just big like synth chords and him singing and so it, I'm, I mean it's great because it, you go from this big you know Vegas show tune opener to just synth and a voice but then what that song turns into is like the danciest hookiest mm-hmm. like pop tune mm-hmm. um well, and I think, you know, for me personally, this song coming out of Flamingo just hits me in the right place to be really satisfying. Um, mm-hmm. Because the way Flamingo ends and you've got that gentle ending to Flamingo and then right into, you know, that, that synth like you're talking about. And when he starts singing, he cuts through everything that's yeah. going on just perfectly. Uh-huh. And um, if you're listening to it in stereo that synth is panned really hard left and right. Like you can tell the stereo field, but when his voice comes at you, it's in the exact center. And so it's just right there in you, like talking right to you. And for me, as somebody, you know, philosophically speaking, as somebody in my thirties who has put down roots, who has, you know, kind of lost the ability to break away, kind of like he's talking here. um, You know, it really kind of hits both at first when I first heard it it was kind of like, Oh, well I can't break away. Like I'm not free. Like I was before I've got a kid, I've got a wife, I've got my parents here. I've got her parents here. You know, work is here. Things are, you know, I can't just pick up and break away. And the first time I heard that it was kind of sad. Like, Oh, that's like the end of like my youth. I'm not young anymore or whatever. But the more you listen to it, you realize that the reason you can't break away is because you're connected and because you're connected, you have the ability to love at a level that youth doesn't let you love because you can't break away from it. You know, I, the things that I am connected to today, I really, really love. And maybe that's the message, you know, when, when you, when you uh, break away, you can be lost when the wind blows you away um, and you lose the chance to, and the opportunity for that love. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I really agree with that. I think it's, it's a really interesting, interesting kind of look at youth 
and the freedom that is, you know, the freedom that people perceive they have in youth. Um, and some of it, some of it even seems like it hints a little bit at the, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like it's like kind of a nod to mm-hmm. some of the things that people associated with it. Uh, uh, and maybe some of the negative aspects, like people go there to escape, you know, what they perceive to be their mundane mm-hmm. life. You know, he says in, in a, in one of the, the pre-courses and there were people there lovely as you'd ever care Tonight, baby, you can start again. Laughing in the open air. Have yourself another dream tonight. Maybe we can start again. Um, and it, the music of the song, like the arrangement, everything just fits with the lyrics so mm-hmm. well because it sounds really youthful and upbeat. It's got a real bouncy, like, Tom groove during the verse and and then into the chorus his you know i think this is is this the song that where he goes ah, yes ah, i was ah, just about ah. to say that it's so so 80s but so good what were you gonna say i was gonna say it's perfect like i almost impersonated it too because that's at a point in the song where like you need a minute to catch your breath and mm-hmm. he does that and it gives you that moment to just be like okay i'm ready for the rest of this song and it ends strong on top of that you know yeah so yeah. i love that i love that vocalization even if it's 80s like it was perfect oh. and for that song oh, it it's, fit it, perfectly yeah it's so great and something interesting talking about the idea of youth he kind of he kind of explains the lie of that a little bit in the bridge and the sun mm-hmm. will shine again and the sun will shine again. Are you looking for the sign or are you caught up in the lie? Um, I don't know, man. He's, he is a, a fantastic songwriter. This, it, it was one, I had one of those experiences where the more I listened to this album and looked at it and kind of tried to digest it a little bit this week, the more sure I was like, yeah, this was a great choice to put on this list because it's so good. Let's go. Let's well, before, look at before hard we, enough. Before we do that. Oh, oh what's up? This is the music video yeah. I want to talk to you about. This is the one that is so trippy. Oh, that's right. That's the one that you sent me that yeah. I, yeah. So, yeah, it's bananas. So this music video almost doesn't fit the rest of the song because it's mostly black and white with some cl- color every now and then. And it's Brandon Flowers in a tuxedo with tails, the tie, the whole bit, indoors, standing on a stage, and it's raining. And he's standing in about three inches of rain. Yeah, it's real strange. And so that's going on. And then the other thing, and another homage to Las Vegas, uh, he's got Cirque du Soleil dancers doing their trapeze work all around him throughout the whole thing. And every now and then it'll crash cut to... Uh, this giant tree with people climbing up the tree, up the branches of the tree, and then right back to him just standing there. And that's the B-roll that's in the Flamingo video, just him standing there in the rain. Um, uh, but, huh. but what was also interesting to me, too, is he's in this massive room. Well, that room is the, the main stage at the MGM Grand. So they're, they filled that room up at the MGM Grand with rainwater and just rained on huh. it. 
So, man, man, there are so many Las Vegas Easter eggs that yeah. went completely over my head because I've never been. I'm not from there. I don't know. That's so great. It's it's weird that he. I wonder how much money that cost him. <laughs> oh no, he probably like, hey. just promised to do like two Killers concerts in that theater. You know, when we get oh, back man, together, make yeah, they'll make their money back for sure, and then some. This tune is really neat to me because I feel like we don't, at least that I can remember as far as the Killers catalog and what Brandon Flowers does in his solo work. I don't think you get to really hear him sing with someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the strongest thing about this track is the, the duet that it is. And I am going to look up who he does this duet with because I feel really terrible that I did not write that down. While you're Don't doing who it is. while you're doing that, I'll fill in some time and tell you a little bit about what yeah, I thought do. about it. Um, yeah. When I heard this song for the first time and was really just sitting there listening to it, you know, nothing else going on. The phone was muted. Um, this song reminded me of the idea. You know, have you ever experienced that moment of realization where you realized you'd really been putting somebody through hell? Uh, and you'd been putting yourself through hell, and whatever that thing was, it just wasn't working. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I've had I've had a couple of those aha moments in my life where something I was working towards was also, you know, causing my wife a lot of stress. So, for instance, I just finished my master's degree in December, and so for two and a half years, I've been working full time and going to school full time. And had no time to do anything. And so she was, you know, burdened with all the house care stuff and all the the day-to-day life stuff because I just couldn't be bothered to think about it. And this song really stops and asks you the question, you know, uh, isn't just hard enough? And I just, I, I really liked that question, uh, especially since I'd just come out of that. That... It's a super intriguing angle on this song because I had never thought about that from the perspective of my own life because, yes, there have been times where I've thought, like, boy, I'm being a real douche. Yeah. And I need to, like, get off the douche train, grab my bags, and leave the station. He's a real douche. You know, and that's, like, I think the story in his songs, I mean, like all good stories, can kind of, it, it, for, from one point of view, it can really convey its message. But if you're not paying attention, you miss it. And I think that's something that I missed with this song that I'm going to have to go back and reevaluate. So uh, who was the, uh, the person that he uh, duetted with? Jenny Lewis. Jennifer Diane Lewis an American singer, songwriter, musician, and actress. She was the lead singer and rhythm guitarist for the indie rock band Rilo Kylie. So we've got some homework to do. Oh, she is from Las Vegas, Nevada as well. Surprise, so surprise. I need, to, I need to check out her music because I, I really enjoy it. You know, they're, uh, one of the things that makes this song really interesting to me 
from a musical standpoint is the way the duet kind of works. Her and Brandon Flowers have a very similar range. Mm -hmm. And so they sing some harmonies, but it goes back and forth between harmonies and unison, Mm -hmm. which is is not unheard of. It's not like that unusual, but it's just ear catching because in pop tunes, I don't think you hear that as much. And the song being about this couple that's kind of like struggling through some hard times, you know, that's a, a really strong arrangement choice that illustrates what the words are trying to say. That's really cool. So uh, what did you think about Jilted Lovers and Broken Hearts? This is a song that I want to cover because it, this might be my favorite track on the album, I think. <laughs> because it's, it's got such energy. Um, the phrasing of the verses is just so great. Um, and it's more Springsteen than Springsteen. Like it is the most like rock and roll with a capital with capital R's America type of tune. But, but also the like I don't know, his lyrics and his melodies are just so infectious to me. Um and like the the very last line of the chorus, you're flying away while I'm stuck here on the ground. It's just so I don't know. It it hits and I think part of it too may be like leftover like pity poor me feelings from you know, feeling like I was burned in relationships. Oh but baby. <laughs> but it's this song kind of it, explains that feeling really well i think what what how do you feel about this song because you were laughing earlier did you like it or do you think it's cheesy so i know your feelings on modern country music and this song is the ultimate country music breakup song yeah i mean you're not wrong this is taylor swift to a t country (laughs) music breakup song yeah and uh, I just, I loved the, you know, a relationship is a gamble and he lost, uh, but she cheated with an ace up her sleeve. Uh, you know, he's left there to suffer, like you said, at the end of the course. And then it ends with, will I ever win? Only time will tell. I mean, this song. Yeah. I, I felt like this song didn't fit the album, though. Like. Really? I love, I love the song. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't fit the overall arc of the album tonally it's so different you know it's pacing is not on track with everything else in the album it's a great song and i understand your desire to cover it because it is good but i just didn't seem to fit with the other nine tracks here see that's so interesting uh because i this album when i first started listening to it I think I would listen to the title track and the second track, and then I would skip to this one, you know, because I'm sure you've had this experience with albums where you, like, get into them kind of slowly. And so there are some songs you listen to, and you might listen for a few years to the same two or three tracks on an album before you start diving into whatever the rest of the content is because, you know, either those tracks don't hit you in just the right way or maybe you're just in a different point in life by the time you get into them but i this album or this track kind of defines this album for me i have very much the opposite and and i think the production is 
I mean, it's similar, but it is a very different song. It kind of, it almost feels like it was a killer song that Brandon Flowers covered. And he even says he doesn't really write songs, at least in the interviews for this album. He said, every song I write is going to be a killer song. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that this sounds so much like that, maybe this was a song that kind of drifted to the killer side of the continuum more than it did like Brandon Flowers solo album side of it. Gotcha. Well, with that said, let's talk about playing with fire. The fifth track. I got to say, yeah, this, this one- album, this track has major balls. You gotta, you gotta wait a yeah. minute 30 before the song actually starts. I, so that is something that some of the reviewers took him to task for, at least one of them. I think Consequence of Sound really dogged on him for, well, you can't just have the same melody playing over and over again. I think that that is the kind of restraint and strength that makes a track like this interesting. It's also in the middle of the album, so if you're committed to listening to the whole thing... This kind of just doubles down on reeling you in further to whatever he has to say later. I this al this song playing with fire is really one of my absolute favorites on this on this album. It's excellent. I'll probably get caught saying this again a little bit later, but this is my favorite song on this album, hands down. It's so interesting to me. Because the the tone of this track, like if you weren't paying attention to the lyrics, you could mistake this for some kind of song about seduction or, you know, experiencing some sort of sexual tension with somebody, uh, but man, it's just it, the the music is so alluring. But then the lyrical content is like twice as good as you think it's going to be, because it's like a family struggle, but it's also about wrestling with with things spiritually. It's it is super interesting. What, what I mean, tell me a little bit more about your feelings on it. So when I listen to the lyrics, uh, aside from the music, when I think of just the lyrics, I'm kind of in the same boat. I see three different sets of imagery there that really feed into it. So you've got the, like you said, the, this could be somebody working a street corner in Vegas, you know, out on the wire, Mm -hmm. somebody's going to get hurt tonight. But then there's the, the second version that I see, which is, this is a soldier out on the wire committed to doing his job to defend, you know, his family. And then the third and final thing, which I think is what the real thing is, is this is a letter to his dad. This is him telling Mm -hmm. his dad that I don't regret my decision to pursue rock and roll, even though it's going to be dangerous to my faith. You know, I'm, you know, I've made this decision and I'm committed to it. And I understand that I'm playing with fire you know, and trying to reconcile to his dad that he doesn't, he doesn't feel bad about his, his decision. Yeah. It's, it's such a compelling combination of his, his resolve 
to keep the faith, even though he's not keeping it in the way that his dad wished he would. Um, I don't know, from a songwriting perspective, this might be the strongest song on the album. Musically, I think it's the strongest song on the album, and lyrically, I think it's the strongest. Only for, I mean, the whole, all the lyrics are great, but the the line that just burned itself into me is the pre-chorus, which is, Rolling river of truth, can you spare me a sip? The holy fountain of youth has been reduced to a drip. I've got this burning belief in salvation and love. This notion may be naive, but then push comes to shove. I will till this ground. It's just yeah, and it's, so it's, good. He's, and it ties up so many ideas about faith in general, but it also, I, I, I'm, I don't know if you know or not, but he's a Mormon. Mm-hmm. Like Brandon Flowers is a Mormon. That's the tradition he comes from. And the line about, I will till this ground, something about the, the real like rustic pastoral idea that like that is the, the imagery that he's going with is super steeped in what seems to me like the American frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It's I, I'm glad that you brought up the pre-chorus because that is it is just so that really is the where he lays it out all lays it all out well, on a, the line. And of all the songs on this album, I feel like it's the least produced song and the most raw song mm-hmm. and raw both that both in recording and in like its spirituality. It's just him pouring it out there, and that's just it. I, you know, obviously I love this album because it's on our list, but I wish that this was kind of the level of production or unproduction that had been applied to the rest of this. Because if I had one gripe about this album, just in general, would be that it's a little overproduced. There's a lot of synth texture there's a lot of you know like gated snare drum and just real big big sounds which works for stuff like welcome to fabulous las vegas or only the young but i think that aesthetic gets slapped onto the whole album and i think that's a little bit of a a mistake Mm -hmm. and this track is kind of the exception that kind of shows like, ah, oh, maybe they could have done a little bit less in the studio. Mm-hmm. Whether that be less synth or maybe pianos and organs instead of synth, maybe more guitars and drums and less like drum machines. I well, I don't know. Well, but to, that's, to sol- that's my feeling on it. To solidify that thought, you know, he went around and did a lot of acoustic recordings of this album on like live television shows and that kind of stuff. And those cuts from those shows are amazing. And it's just him and you oh, know, a so and a guitar and an upright bass and they just do it. And they're just as good as they are on the album, if not better. Yeah. I, I, man, I mean, I hate to think we've peaked halfway through the, the album, but 
uh, playing with fire was just really a high point for this um, album. And then, you know, he follows it up with, was it something I said, which was a track that I think took me a long time to get around to liking. I think my tastes had to change for me to get into that song because it's a little, it's a little hokey. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least it kind of feels that way. But also, like, to his credit, he doesn't waste any time. The song isn't very long. Um, And now at this point, uh, you know, I'm I'm so deep in the album personally that I love the, like, clavinet or whatever it is that kind of goes throughout the whole song. Um, But again, this is another one that could have been a little underproduced because the song is really tight. Like, the songwriting is great. I kind of wish the production had fit the song a little bit more. Yeah, so in my notebook, I wrote down, you know, that... You know, it seems like every album has a version of this song. You've got young love that has fallen apart, and one of the parties is trying to figure out what went wrong. And every album seems to have that song. Uh, and while this one was catchy, because it's just kind of a rehashing of something that seems to be on every album, I kind of felt eh about it. Yeah, it's very, you know, so I had I have read... Um, in quite a few places in reviews and things the reviewers are constantly comparing Brandon flowers to Bruce Springsteen, who's not really an artist. I like that much. I was about but, to say, I think that is a disservice to Brandon flowers because Bruce Springsteen sucks. So I agree, but no, buts. there's, there's always, <laughs> there's a, but I've got one. I've got just one, but he has a couple of songs that when they come on the radio, I don't immediately change the station. Let's move on to cut seven, Magdalena. Yeah, so this track has such an interesting backstory that I did not know until I did some looking around. Um, I, I looked at, I was looking just initially online for the lyrics and found the lyrics. It was one of those websites uh, that was kind of geared toward people getting in the comments section and saying like, Oh, I think this song means this. Mm-hmm. And somebody kind of hinted at it being a pilgrimage. And so I did some more research. This song describes a pilgrimage, uh, from Nogales to Magdalena. Those are two towns in the state of Sonora in Mexico. And it's a, a Catholic pilgrimage, uh, that people typically walk and they'll go to Magdalena to make appeals to St. Francisco Xavier. Um, and they will bring these, uh, these little offerings called mandas that I think Flowers actually mentions in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. They, they bring him offerings in the hopes that the saint, St. Francisco, will bless them. And the song kind of details this outlaw sort of character trying to make a pilgrimage uh, to make his offering and find some sort of redemption. And I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, you can listen to an album a thousand times if you're me anyway, and kind of miss some of the most interesting things just because of the music. Cause the music of this song is super lively. You know, it's a Western basically. Um, 
Yeah, you you sent me a news article uh, that mentions this pilgrimage last night, and I'd been listening to this album, you know, I'd listened to this album at least a dozen times and had not made that connection. I mean, I listening to it, you're like, oh, it's some ruffian on the road uh, making a pilgrimage over something. But when you read what exactly that pilgrimage is and the fact that it's written in a perspective as if Brandon Flowers was the ruffian doing that for the second time, walking that 60-mile journey with nothing but faith that people would support him, uh, really turned the meaning of this song into something a lot more. And before last night, before I'd read that, before I'd learned about what the the pilgrimage of Magdalena was, uh, I thought this was a middling song. It's catchy, it's fun, but okay, whatever. It didn't really fit the rest of the album. But now that it has, or now that I have an understanding of what it's actually saying, it's like, oh, wow, this song is great. Uh, And this song would have to be towards the top of the album. Absolutely. And it's another song much in the same vein. uh, Well, in the same category, you mentioned that this is a song that you can just read the lyrics to. Mm -hmm. And it tells a really beautiful story. Uh, uh, the some of the imagery in the song, like in verse two, in the land of old Sonora, a shallow river valley cries. The summer left her without forgiveness. It's mirrored in her children's eyes. Like, ah, uh, I'm getting chills just reading it because he, he, he does a thing that a lot of songwriters can't necessarily do, which is lay out a scene like a physical place mm-hmm. and give you some exposition about that place. Um, well, and you start with nothing. You learn about the place, you learn about the person that's uh-huh, walking uh-huh. and you learn about the journey is really, really hard. And the song kind of comes up to this crescendo that ends, uh, with the bridge, uh, where he says, I'd like his blessing of forgiveness before the angels send it through. And that yep. Chris, the music kind of stops for a second and then it stops starts again really hard and it's a party and he's successful and you've got this this ending that includes the lines uh and i will know that i am clean now and i will dance and the band will play in the old arto cantina cups will runneth over the ancient clay just wow yeah it's and so something interesting about the music here they change keys for the end of it mm-hmm. and i usually it's a thing I usually despise in songs when they just go up half a step or a step that usually grates on my musical sensibilities. That's one of like your seven sins of music. Board. Oh, I despise it utterly. But in this song, it serves a purpose. Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, the end of the bridge, he says a bullet in the night, a federale's light San Francisco, do you understand? I kind of think that the guy died and went to paradise because, like you said, the song stops. And, you know, there's a line at the end of the bridge and tell him that my heart is true. I'd like his blessing of forgiveness before the angels send it through. Mm -hmm. He's desperately seeking forgiveness Mm -hmm. before he dies. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that might be a little too, like 
galaxy brain take. No, I but, think that's exactly what it is. You're taking words right out of my you know, notebook. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we're in, in agreement. I just, man, this song, you know, this, this, and it's indicative of this whole album that the more I dig into it, the more I like it. Well, kind of with that said, let's move on to the eighth track, Crossfire. This song was essentially the single for this album, I guess. This was the one that I heard on the radio when it came out and didn't realize what it was. Um, what are your thoughts about it? Oh, man, I, this, uh, like, I, I don't want to say, like, oh, it's my favorite track because I've said that probably about, like, five or six out of the eight tracks we've looked at so far. Um, but this song is kind of the best of all his 80s influences. To me, some of the, like, angular guitar work in it. Um, the, the, like, keyboards... The like kind of off kilter keyboards and the the verses reminded me a little bit of like Bruce Hornsby. It's super eighties, but it's also very contemporary. And the like galloping bassline groove during the chorus, his like falsetto singing where he uh, sings "Lay Your Body Down." Like, and this song lyrically isn't even that deep, but the music really I think carries it. Like the music carries me away almost more than the actual words. Yeah, I definitely think the music is what carries this song. It is super catchy. This is the one that I find myself throughout this week just kind of humming when there's nothing else else going on. It's the one that's kind of stuck in my ear and I kind of keep coming back to it. And it has some good meaning. I mean, We've all Yeah, it does. But it's definitely not as deep as, you know, Magdalena or um even uh only the young. Uh so, you know, it's just it's one of those songs that I enjoyed. I will say, this is the third and final song on this album that has an official music video. And I intentionally didn't send it to you because I want to describe it to you and then I want you to watch it later and tell oh, me. Oh, I'm response. excited. Well- Lay it on me. Tell so, me about it. So since this was the single, this one is the easily the most highly produced music video on this album. And it is him chained to a metal mattress frame being tortured, no. being no. tortured by terrorists and a blonde girl <laughs> with a Kill Bill-esque like build and look with two swords, just slashing terrorists to get to him. According to the show, (laughs) she was the deadliest woman in the world with a knife. And she's jumping through glass, and she's driving Uh. this beat-up old Ford pickup truck, and, like, she's the hero in this thing, and he's getting, like, the battery cables to the nipples, (laughs) and just, just having the crap beat out of him. And when they finally see each other, it's during... Uh, the bridge and he's hanging upside down in a straight jacket from the rafters of this warehouse. And she walks up to him and the song ends with her driving the pickup away from the camera and him sitting in the middle seat leaned against her. So like it's the inverse of every eighties action movie ever made. That is so strange. It Boy, is, he really made some, some weird choices with these music videos. I'm going to have to look that up. 
I, I almost sent it to you last night and I was like, nope, I'm saving this for the conversation. Like it is so oh, I'm glad weird. that you did. That is so bananas. Well, it's one of those things. I think, you know, it's obvious that you get to a certain point and if you're Brandon flowers of the killers, mm-hmm. you can probably do whatever the hell you want. You know, <laughs> like you can just say like, how about I am hanging upside down and we clamp a car battery to my, my nipples and Uma Thurman rushes in with her katanas and mm-hmm. saves me. And some executive is like, that's yeah, fine. Whatever. Here's a camera crew. Go do it. Or even worse. The, the studio executives, high school kid wanted to make an action movie and was like, oh, yeah, you can, you, that you can that, do Brandon's new song. Uh, that option makes me so much more sad than Brandon <laughs> flowers coming up with all that himself. It's well produced, but it is so weird. It does not, it, it, there are no guns in the video, so it doesn't fit the crossfire thing. Like, yeah, it's oh, people that's fighting funny. With swords. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk about On the Floor. This is the uh, ninth track, and I've got to be honest, I'm just going to preempt and just say, I really didn't care for this song. Like, this one is a throwaway. We- we could almost just lump these two songs together because they're so weak. Both of them are just such a swing and a miss. And like all the, all the air is sucked out of the room too with these songs. Cause they're not, not that every song has to be up tempo, but they don't have the depth of playing with fire, nor do they have the energy of only the young. And so it's like all the, fun has kind of gone out of the album on the last two tracks. Such a strange decision. Well, and you know, that's, what's interesting to me too, you know, jumping to swallow it since we can agree on the floor's junk. Swallow it has a good message, at least to me in that, in my professional career, in my personal life, I have a huge track record of biting off more than I can chew. I will jump in head first into something and say, oh yeah, I can definitely do this. And this song, you know, basically tells you, you got to slow down and take the time to evolve. You've got to grow, you know, don't, don't keep biting off. And I liked that message, but the song itself, I mean, frankly, the song itself stinks. The message belonged in church, not, not on this album. Yeah, I'm not, and uh, one of the, 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 I mean, we'll get to this in a minute when we talk about what the reviewers said, but boy, con- Consequence of Sound really hated this album, and they kind of poked fun at the innuendo that you could draw from the, the chorus in the song. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Not, not, know what I mean? Say no more. Mm-hmm. Which I, you know, I don't necessarily think that Brandon Flowers is being crass. I think he's being pretty genuine. But it's, I don't know, it's just kind of weird and unfortunate. Um, and he kind of makes it work in the cadence of the lyrics. But I don't know. As a whole, I, I, I agree with you for sure. I did kind of like the like Talking Heads delivery of the bridge. Mm-hmm you know, where he kind of speaks, sings, but he could have done that in a better song somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't redeem the song. So we've kind of gone through the album proper. Why don't we talk a little bit about 
the bonus tracks on the deluxe edition of this album because the bonus tracks are really good. There, there are at least a couple of them that I really like. And I know you texted me and told me that you had thoughts on the uh, bonus tracks. So what, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling about those? Yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, first the bonus tracks are the clock was ticking Jacksonville. I came here to get over you and right behind you. And really with the exception of one of them, I feel like all of them could have been on this album. And I strongly feel that the clock was ticking in Jacksonville should have been on the album, especially given that the deluxe version didn't come out till a couple of years after the actual album came out. I feel like those two songs finish this album in a much stronger way than on the floor or swallow it. Hmm. Yeah. It, I really, I don't, I don't care as much for the clock was ticking just because I don't like his vocal delivery, but the, the story in that song really is as excellent, if not better than some of the other like story songs that are on the album. But it's, it's certainly, you know, I would take any, any two of those four tracks, my, my personal favorites. I really love Jacksonville. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the kind of weird blend of like rock and techno. I mean, it, it, and that even fits the album better than the last two tracks, but I really like Jacksonville. I really like, I came here to get over you. Um, I think honestly, you could even just randomize it and pick any two of those tracks, replace, um, replace, swallow it and uh, on the floor with any two of those, and you would have automatically a much stronger album. I mean, it's it's real strong to begin with, right? But I don't know. It's it's weird those songs didn't get included, and I'd be really curious to hear Brandon Flowers talk about that. Well, so one thing I had to ask you was, was the CD that Nancy uh, burned for you, <laughs> was it the deluxe edition? You know, I think it was. Okay. Uh, uh, because I'm pretty sure she gave it to me after we had broken up. Um, and I remember those tracks being on there, and I didn't even really notice that they were not songs proper mm-hmm. until we, you know, rolled the dice on this one and had to do it. I got to looking at the vinyl and realized, like, oh, well, the the vinyl only has these 10 songs on it, but I'm always accustomed to 14 tracks on this album or whatever. Yeah. Um, so well, I don't know. I think I think the album she gave me was the deluxe edition. I think she was a pretty big fan of The Killers and Brandon Flowers, so it wouldn't surprise me that um, she shelled out for the the deluxe edition. Do you think your opinion of it would have been different if it hadn't been the deluxe edition? Like if those songs hadn't been included? Oh man, it's hard to say. Um, but I think, I think probably I would still have a pretty strong opinion of it because I think you could have made just a really great eight track album. It's not really a thing people do that much anymore because of CDs and digital media being able to just cram so much more in. But 
I don't know. I think you could chop the last two songs off. You'd have a stronger album or you could just switch them out. But, um, the short answer to your question is yes. I think I would have enjoyed this album as much, even if I didn't have the option of those better tunes. I, the, that's just me. What about you? Do you think those extra tunes save the album for you in a way? I think on the floor and swallow it are poor enough excuses for songs to make an album that it would have sullied my my impression of it. You know, I was listening to it on Spotify in my car, uh, you know, at my desk at work, and I didn't even realize that those were bonus tracks until I started writing notes about the songs and realized that, oh, the clock was taken bonus track in air quotes. And yeah, yeah. that kind of took the wind out of my sails a little bit for the album just because these four songs fit the rest of the album pretty well, even though they are a little different, but they fit the theme and the message of the rest of the album. And they're a lot better way to end it than on the floor and swallow it. Like on the floor and swallow it felt like they should have been cuts five and six of this 10 cut album. If you were going to put them on because it's just such a weak way to end a story. I know you said that uh, The Clock Was Taken wasn't your favorite of these four songs, but for me, it tells such a beautiful story start to finish. And even musically, it's catchy and it hooks. And I found myself just really connecting with that song on a level very similar to the way I connected with the first 10 minutes of the movie Up. Like, it's just a very great Uh, human love story that... Things aren't perfect, you know, but they're both trying hard. They're both making it work. And at the end of his life, when he's alone and the house is silent, all he wants is to be back with her, to be 16 again with with Jackie, his wife. And I just thought that that song was such a beautiful story tied up. And it really ties a bow on this album in a way that, uh, would have been a real shame had it been excluded from the, de- the the deluxe album or hadn't made it out into the public knowledge. I was just going to say, it is a, I mean, it's an incredibly strong tune. And I, I agree with you. I think the only thing that turns me off about that song is Flower's delivery of the lines. He has that kind of, like he puts on a little bit of a Southern accent and does the kind of speak singy type of stuff that doesn't work for me, but I, I, I agree with you 110% that the story that it tells is great. His lyrics are, I mean, we've gone on and on about this, but his lyrics are excellent. He's an excellent storyteller. I just don't care for the vocal delivery, but that's a real small gripe compared to the quality of the song. And I feel like the vocal delivery is intentional. He is that character. And so for me, I could look past it because he's playing the role of that husband looking back on his life and knowing that the clock was ticking. Um, But yeah, I I totally get it. And it is obviously easily hands down the least produced track on this entire album. It was something that they recorded, you know, maybe a little bit beyond a demo version. And then we're like, yeah, this isn't making the real album. So they stopped. But that's one of the things I like about it. Yeah, I I think it's kind of a shame that they 
leaned so hard into the pop sound just because with a few tweaks, even if you, so if you did, so if they had done what you suggested and put the clock was ticking and uh, Jacksonville, that was, was that the other one that mm-hmm. you would have substituted? Yep. I think you can split an album sometimes stylistically. You can say like, okay, well, we've got the 80s new wave sensibilities of Brandon Flowers, but we've also got the down-home Springsteen-y side of Brandon Flowers. And I think I think it would have benefited if they had leaned a little bit more into the like country and Western side of his songwriting, just because that is a uniquely regional thing. You know, country is alive and well all over the nation, but you know, especially in the South and in the West and the Southwest there in Las Vegas, you know, that, that is a thing that I think would have fit better than they thought it would. If that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it suits his vocalization a lot better than you would think. Like you don't, you, you hear Brandon flowers and you think of the killers, but his voice really lends itself well to the more acoustic country and not, not modern top 40 country, but true country music. Uh, he fits in with that really well. And I think he's underutilized that way. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, cool, man. I think we've made it through just about every track on this album. I had a great time talking about it with you today. Let's look at what some of the reviewers said back in 2010 when this was released. Yeah. So I've, alluded to it a couple of times uh consequence of sound um you know it's funny i don't really read album reviews or i haven't in the past and i've started doing that now because of this podcast obviously you want to kind of address the critical reception and this album got really kind of either savaged or ignored by everyone consequence of sound said this Flowers makes every wrong decision here, eliminating any sense of connection or deeper meaning he's going for. And I don't know that that is so antithetical to my experience. I do kind of feel like they just missed the point. I think Um, what they were expecting was another killers album. And this is not, you know, it has some agree. It has some killers sounds to it, but it is definitely not a killers album. And it, I personally, I, I am kind of irritated at that comparison because I think Hot Fuss is a great album, but I, I re-listened to Sam's Town this week because I remember not really liking it that much when I did finally sit down and listen to it. I don't like most of the killer's output as much as I like Brandon Flowers. I think Brandon Flowers is the strength of the killers. Um not not he's not one of the solo artists that by himself is sorely missing his band. I think he's got enough songwriting chops. He's certainly got chops as a singer and a performer. So I don't know. I I I could not relate to any of what the reviewers said. The Rolling Stones gave it three out of five stars, which is like kind of good, I guess. Yeah, mediocre. Um, yeah, and I 
I don't know if this is a Rolling Stones thing because, like I said, I I don't I don't keep up with music critics, but they just kind of dashed off a paragraph about it, and that was it. Um, they said the album was laughable if Flowers wasn't a hundred percent committed, and if the hooks on Flamingo weren't irresistible. So they they like saw some of what you and I saw in it. But I, I don't know. I, this was one album where the critical response kind of baffled me. Definitely. Um, the Metacritic score for it was 61 out of 100, which Metacritic averages every score oh, wow. out there. And so huh. just an okay to average, you know, all right, this did all right, but it wasn't well received. It topped out at like number four in the UK, uh, but it didn't break the top 20 in the United States. So it didn't get much love here, uh, unfortunately. And I think that was something that, as a society, we missed out on. I think most of the songs on here could have done just as well as Crossfire did as a single and and been just as connectable. Forget them. Let's talk about what we thought about this album. Out of uh, one to six strings on yes. a guitar, what did you give this album? So in my show notes... I have written here four out of six strings. I'm going to have to bump it up to five out of six because our conversation has illuminated some things that for one, I didn't see in the lyrics that you did. Uh, But for another, just how creative his articulations about his spiritual struggles are. So I'm going to give this one five out of six, uh, five out of six strings. Um, and I think that missing string is just for some really poor choices to end the album on, especially in lieu of like way stronger songs. Um, yeah, five out of six strings. Uh, he was in the middle of playing a great song and his like top E string busted on him and he soldiered on without that top E string because you can do that kind of thing. You don't need two E's, either the top one or the low one popped off. What about you? How are, what, what, how many strings does this album get from you? For me, this is a five out of six string album, if you include the deluxe tracks. If you exclude them and you say this is just one through ten, it's a four out of six string album, mainly because it just ends so poorly when it's just a ten track album. I feel like Brandon Flowers does something really special about pulling the curtain back on his life of quote fortune and fame and showing you the emotional struggles, the, uh, the crisis of faith that he was going through at this point in his life and really highlighting, uh, the stories of the people around him, Magdalena crossfire, only the young, uh, the clock was a ticking. These songs have haunted me this week. They've drawn me into some serious introspection where I've looked at my life and looked at how they have applied to my life, and they've really helped bring me into a state of raw openness that I'm not used to. And because of that, and because this was my first time experiencing it, I am really excited about listening to this moving on into the future. And that's one reason why I went ahead and bought the vinyl I'll just have to remember to play the Spotify extra four tracks when I hit the end of the needle. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta have it put in the little aux cord or whatever, just ready to go. Absolutely. Well, that's great, man. I'm I'm really glad that you enjoyed it so much. I'm sure that will not be uh, 
the experience on <laughs> for every album, but that's awesome that it's something you felt like you wanted to own. I'm, okay. I'm excited that you liked it so much. I'm proud of your musical taste this week. Now, next week, it may be a different story. Yeah, who knows? Well, next week is going to be one of your albums, right? Isn't yep. that how we're doing this? Yep, and yeah. I've got it all pulled up here. We're going to hit uh, generate on the random number generator, and it's going to make my uh, fairy godmother sound, and we're going to find out where we've got to go next. Here we all go. All right, bring it on. Number 16. On my list, that is 1991's epic produced Michael Jackson album, Dangerous. Looking forward to talking with you about it next week, Chris. Man. Oh, see, I... I have been living under a rock. I haven't heard this album. It's Michael Jackson, and I haven't heard it. So I'm very interested to see what awaits me. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I've had a great time talking with you about Brandon Flowers' uh, album Flamingo this week. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week. that episode went really well don't you i mean we should probably tell people uh where they could uh check out more from us right yeah we really should so if you enjoyed our conversation uh please feel free to drop us a a, a five-star review or a thumbs up or whatever it is on your podcatcher of choice if you want to add to the conversation feel free to contact us at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com that's all spelled out just like the words are uh, no spaces no symbols no nothing just two dudes and tunes at gmail.com I'm Chris and I'm wood and you've been listening to two dudes and tunes we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>